If you weren't here last week, let me give you the synopsis. If you didn't listen to the podcast, uh, and then I just you've had a week to kind of think about it. I want to take five minutes just see if we can take any questions. But last week we talked about a strange story in the Bible that goes all throughout the entire Bible, from Old Testament to New Testament. During before the flood, it says that the sons of God, uh, so spiritual beings, uh, later people would call them angels. Angels came and had sex with human women and gave birth to the giants. When you look at stories like Goliath, he is to be one of the descendants of this sin between spiritual and physical that happened long ago. It looks like the flood's going to wipe them all out, but then the rest of the Bible says it didn't happen. Uh, The Nephilim were still around after the flood. If you pay attention to the holy wars throughout the Old Testament, where uh, they were ordered to wipe everyone out in a certain town, if you pay close attention to what the Bible says, whenever someone, whenever people are wiped out in a certain town, those areas were known to have giants. So um, throughout the Old and New Testament, you see references to this kind of spiritual but also physical warfare going on. So that's uh, what we talked about last week. I did record it. It is up on our podcast. There's a link on the Discord. Uh, just search for 1208 Podcast, all one word if you want to hear it. But you've had a week to think about it. Any questions before we dive into tonight's topic? I know Amity's got a whole notebook. But do you want to hit on anything right now? Uh, yeah, I did have one. So if this has happened before, uh, is it likely slash what would stop it from happening again? Right. So that's a good question. Because on one hand, we're like, did it happen again? Because the flood was supposed to wipe them all out. But they're still around after. So there is on one hand, we're like, did it happen a second time? Is that why they're still around? The answer that I would say is not necessarily. If you watch any movies kind of meant to make the flood today, like uh, what was the, not Jim Carrey, but the Steve Carell flood. Oh. Is it just called Evan Almighty? Evan Almighty, right? So if you ever watch like people trying to imagine the flood today, they always look crazy, right? Like a man's building a boat. That's not the way you would have thought in ancient times. If you see a man building a boat and just like, he's like, yeah, Yahweh is going to send a flood and you're spiritual beings who know who Yahweh is and you know that he's bringing judgment on you. My guess is you're like, I'm going to build a boat too, you know? So there's a possibility they survived that way. There's other legends that they could fly or that they could swim. They're all just legends. We don't know. Um, But nonetheless, one way or another, I would say it survived, I think, because the flood was more local than global. Uh, But, uh, yeah, could it happen again? Paul actually seems worried that it could happen again. We didn't hit on this last week. But Paul tells women to dress up when they go to church to cover their head. Why? He says, because of the angels. (laughs) Kind of a weird thing to say. The reason Paul would say that is because if now that we've looked at the... Uh, Qumran scrolls and all these things. We've seen that people thought when you went to church, angels were present. They were worshiping with you. So if angels are present at church, ladies, you've already led them into seeing how beautiful you are before. So Paul's thinking is because of the angels, go ahead and cover your head so that they don't fall for you again. So the Bible leaves the possibility, but I would say no, there's no reason to be afraid that it would happen again necessarily. But who knows? Any other questions? 
Also, I don't think you need to cover your heads just to be clear. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so my thought process is like the Giants are like a product of a sin. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess what I'm wondering is like, are they so inherent evil that they need to be wiped out? Because like they're just like the product of, it, of which they had no say. Yeah. Like, that wasn't of their religion. So like, I'm wondering why it was necessary that they were wiped out, considering it wasn't their choice to be wiped. Yeah. And to some extent, we can only imagine the narrative that I would suggest the Bible's telling with that is they're born out of sin. Um, while they're on the earth, it gets so bad that God has to wipe it out because uh, that's just how bad it gets between humans and Nephilim and giants. Uh, but then when you look at them, listed throughout the Bible, they still seem opposed to God's plan. They're in the Holy Land, probably don't want to give it over. Goliath is taunting them. Uh, their parents, right? These these fallen angels are their parents, so they come from the legacies of the false gods that they worship and that they're the product of. And so, altogether, they just seem to be on a separate page. That's the way the Bible pictures it. There's always us wondering, you know, like, is there the good giant somewhere? Who knows? Um, but we can only go with speculation as to person to person. I don't think I would say that they're just inherently evil, but I would imagine giving their story and their background and the way that they constantly get pictured is they're anti-God. In the same way we would think of demons. There's not like a good demon out there somewhere. Demons literally get the name demon because they're a spiritual being against God. The giants are pictured in a similar light. They're physical, spiritual beings against God. So, any other quick questions? Some of you are like, what the crap did you talk about last week? <laughs> One more? We good? Fine, no, that's good. Yeah. So, what do you think about the portrayal of Nephilim in some pop culture references? I haven't watched your favorite TV show, so I don't know. <laughs> Um, I, I haven't seen the Nephilim pictured in very many. I think by, I think the most hilarious Nephilim reference is in that movie, Noah, the most recent one, the rock creatures <laughs> who are angels trapped inside of rock bodies who help build an ark. That's completely off base with anything that the Nephilim story was trying to portray. And if they just did some research, you would have seen that immediately. <laughs> Uh, but I don't know the pop culture references today, but a lot of biblically evil kind of scenarios try to get put in positive lights today, so you always want to be careful with what you come across. We discovered the Sasquatch. What do we do with them? The Sasquatch? <laughs> the, <laughs> I guess you'll have to ask when that time comes. Um, okay, tonight we're going to get into the divine council, which is a very strange concept to modern ears, but is written all throughout the Bible. So we're going to kind of, and again, if you would allot me a few extra minutes, because there's a lot to get through, I'll try to speed it up. But we see it at the very beginning of the Bible. So here's one passage that you've heard, and I want you to remind me what you've been told it's explaining. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Who's the our? Who is God talking to? What have you been told? Trinity. Trinity. Anybody get something other than Trinity? So, the way that we've been taught today is God is speaking to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. 
Let's go make man in our image. The Trinity is a New Testament concept. (laughs) They didn't have that thinking in the Old Testament. So when we try to take the way that we think today and put it into a time where it's non-existent, we have to realize like we're going with our own biases and our own thoughts. Actually, what we're looking at here is uh, God talking to the heavenly host. Okay, Heavenly host can be any kind of spiritual being on God's side. All right. So angels, actually the word angel, malach, it's just a, it's a messenger. That's a kind of spiritual being that delivers a message. That, that's what angel would mean. There's other kinds of spiritual beings, such as the sons of God, who we talked about last week. There's the holy ones. There's the watchers. Uh, there's cherubim. There's seraphim. These are all, by definition, heavenly hosts because they're on uh, God's, they're the host of heaven, right? So by definition, they are heavenly hosts. But that doesn't mean that they're all the same. Some of them have different backgrounds. Some of them are described to look differently than others. Some of them have different ways of working. So while an angel's job is to deliver a message from God, a cherubim's job is actually to protect God's throne. The sons of God are typically known to rule over nations. They're all heavenly hosts, but they don't work the same way. There's hierarchy seen in the divine realm. So when God's saying, let us make man in our image after our likeness, it doesn't make sense for him to be talking to a concept that the Hebrews didn't have in mind because the Hebrews wouldn't write down a concept that they don't have in mind. It makes sense that he's talking to the heavenly host, which means something interesting. In the same way that we are made in God's image, the heavenly host are made in God's image. And that word image You know, we try to put a lot of different ideas on it. Is it consciousness? Is it moral behavior? What is it? What what do we have that a dog doesn't have? Because the dog's not in God's image. And we try to come up with all these different ideas. Uh, The word uh, to image, it's a verb. Okay? So you are imagers of God. Actually, idols throughout the Bible, the word for idols is image. So... When people make an idol, they make an image. They're trying to image something else. When you turn in on yourself and worship yourself and are all prideful about yourself, no longer are you trying to image God to the world, but you've turned yourself into an idol. You've turned yourself into an image. So if the world was working the way that God set it up to be, there would be one God, right? The only God who's created everything, whether it's physical or spiritual, and all his human beings imaging him in the world, and all his spiritual heavenly host imaging him in the heavenlies. That's the way things are designed to be. So he looks to the angel and he's like, let's go make man in our image, in our likeness. And I know why this is hard for us to comprehend, because we're like, wait a minute. So the memes that we read online are true, that angels made us along with God? (laughs) The answer is no, absolutely not, okay? There is only one creator. And we've seen what happens when angels try to create. That's the Nephilim, right? It goes horribly wrong. What you see God saying is in the same way you're in my image, let's go make humans in our image. But here's what's very important. The angels have nothing to do with the creation process. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, 
He created him. So the grammar is like this. Me telling all of you, hey, let's go get pizza. But then I take you all out for pizza. The pizza was my idea. I was the one who paid for all the pizza. It's technically my pizza, my creation for you, right? So you ate it. Let's go get pizza. But it was all my doing. In the same way, hey, let's, let's go make man in our image. And then God does it. Job actually tells us that the angels just kind of stood back and celebrated. Job says, uh, Job has God saying this. God says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When all the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So Job talks about the morning stars singing. I know it sounds weird because we know that stars are just balls of burning fire millions of miles away, right? Pumbaa. But in ancient times, they thought stars were the heavenly hosts. They were the gods. Why? Well, because they're glowing and the gods glow and because they're moving around and things that are sentient move. They had no concept that the globe is turning, okay? So they look at the star, it's there one day, now it's over there. The sun was over there, now it's moved all the way over here. And now it's coming back up the other day. You know, like, to them, these are living creatures that are up in the sky. Since they live in the heavens, they are the heavenly host. And here Job talks about the heavenly hosts, the stars, singing as God creates. Singing as God creates. The sons of God shouting for joy. Look at what he's made. So we see this scenario put out. You see God talking to the sons of God, the heavenly host. I'm going to go make man in my image, in our image. And then he goes to do that. Um, God, uh, then we see Adam and Eve eat from the tree, right? And what was Satan's temptation? He said, God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's something interesting. The word God, does anyone know what it is in, in Hebrew? It's a bunch of things, but just like the common word for God. Elohim. Elohim, right. Which one you want? There are many words for God in Hebrew. Elohim can be translated two different ways. God or God's. Singular or plural. How do you figure out which way to translate it? It's based on your grammar, based on the way that the story is going. Hebrews didn't have as many words as we did. This is a very ancient language, so some words mean more just like it does in English. But you have to look at your context to understand how to translate the word Elohim. Now, I talked about this last week. In ancient times, an Elohim is what? Any spiritual being. Because Samuel, when Samuel's dead and Saul calls his spirit forth through a witch, remember, uh, when Samuel shows up, the witch is like, I see a God. Is Samuel a God? No, not by the way you're thinking, but by ancient times, when any spiritual being is considered a God, the spirit of Samuel is a God. He's a spiritual being, okay? That's hard for us because the word God in our mind means only Yahweh, right? When you're reading your Bibles, that word is actually a lot more broad. 
When we look at the context of everything we just learned, let us make man in our own image. Here's Satan's actual temptation. God knows that when you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God's, knowing good and evil. You'll be like the spiritual beings, knowing good and evil. You'll be like that us that God was talking to. The spiritual beings made in his image. They know good and evil. And humans can be like that too if you just eat of this fruit. You will be like God's. So that's the real temptation that's, that's being given to Adam and Eve, that they might be like that other image that already existed before them. And the reason that we can tell that this is about tempting them to be like the gods is because if we just go forward a few more verses, it says, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. We've already established the us as the sons of God, the heavenly host. The same us that God said, let's go create. God now turns to them and is like, look, they become like us. They become like the gods, like the spiritual beings. Okay, so that's where we see the spiritual heavenly host at the beginning of the Bible. Any questions so far? I know it's very easy to fall into heresy off just what you've heard so far, so stick with me. <laughs> I'm going to clarify. Any questions yet? I'm not saying it's polytheism. <laughs> That's not what I tweeted, everyone. <laughs> oh, no. It's not what I tweeted. <laughs> um, okay, so divine counsel. Who are these spiritual beings? What did they do? What's the point of the heavenly host? What's a day in the life of the heavenly host look like? The Bible actually gives us some examples. Do you think God needs angels and heavenly hosts to do the things that he wants to do? No. Does he need you to do the things that he wants to do? No. no. What does that tell us about God? He's all powerful and all sufficient, but yes, he wants us. You exist not because he needs you, but because he looked at what reality could be with you and he said, this is better. It is better to have you than to not have you. It's better to have the angels than to not have them. Even conceiving of the whole world falling into sin, it's still better that you exist than not exist. He chooses to have you. So in the same way that every day you make a decision as to how you are going to partner with God, you're going to listen to the Holy Spirit to bring a little bit of God's kingdom into the world on that day. That's what the angels, the heavenly hosts are supposed to do. They're supposed to partner with God to get his work done. Here's a few examples. There's a prophet named Micaiah or Micaiah and uh, he's taken up into God's heavenly throne room at one point. And he says when he was there, he's like, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. So we're seeing this council around God. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up to the fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. So does God know what to do at Ramoth Gilead to get rid of King Ahab? Yeah, of course he does. But for some reason, just as he creates us and, ex and wants to partner with us, so he created spiritual beings. He knows what to do. He knows all futures. He's omniscient. But rather than make his own decision, he looks at the heavenly host. He's like, okay, King Ahab, I've given him a lot of chances. Dude's just messed it up over and over again. It's time for him to go. I'm done with his reign. It's, it's not good. How are we going to get rid of him? And then one spirit gets up. It's like, let's try this. <laughs> and another spirit gets up. How about this? And another one gets up. 
How about, how about this? And then it says a spirit came forward and a spirit, again, is just God's spirits, heavenly host, angels. All these words are synonymous with each other. And it's the same idea. A spirit came forward. So we're not talking demon. We're just talking another, another spiritual being comes forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. In the end, it's God's commissioning. It's God's plan to go through with this. But he actually gave the space to cooperate with spiritual beings. Here's the problem. What's our solution? And the heavenly hosts are like, here's a few solutions. No, I don't like that one. No, that won't quite do it. No, no. You're, you're always that weird spirit. But then, <laughs> then this one comes up. How about this? The guy's like, yeah, all right, let's do that. And so they follow through with that. Yeah, Emity. This sounds like possession. Possession? In what yeah. way? Well, uh, where he was saying, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. It ah. sounds a lot like he's taking over their bodies. Yeah, it, it can sound like that. But prophets' jobs, a, the, a true prophet of God is to listen to the Holy Spirit. And to communicate what he's saying. So imagine if uh, another angel's like, I'll go talk to that guy and give him a word. I'll just give him a false word. And that guy gets up, he's like, an angel come and spoke to me. And here's what he said. He's delivering the message, but he wasn't possessed. He was, he was delivered the word. So, so that's the way in which it works. When we use the word spirit, though, our minds go to possession because that's the way we're used to think of it in the New Testament and the way that we usually hear the word spirit used in the 21st century. So that's one example of the heavenly host in God's council in his throne room. Like, here's some ideas. Let's work with this. Here's another one. Daniel 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, we remember him for all the chocolate bunnies. But, if we, <laughs> veggie tales, taking it back. Um, but there's other weird stories connected to Nebuchadnezzar. One of the weird ones is... Some watchers come to him, which is another kind of angel. We don't fully know what that means. A lot of people speculate that the idea is that they're always watching. They're always paying attention. The Stan Lee of the Marvel Universe, right? They're <laughs> always there. Um, some people possibly speculate in Revelation. You know those beings that have eyes all over them? Maybe those are watchers, just constantly watching all things. Uh, but nonetheless... They show up in Daniel. They're not in the rest of the Bible, but they show up in Daniel and other Jewish literature around the time Daniel was written. What do the watchers say? They show up and they tell Nebuchadnezzar um, that he's going to be turned into like a were cow or something. He's like, let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones. Holy ones is another spiritual being. So the watchers and holy ones are the same, same being. Okay, To the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. So these watcher angels show up and they're like, here's the deal, man. But these angels, they kind of came up with the plan and worked with God to establish the plan. They say, like, this is our decree. So again, you see God giving authority over to beings to work with him on ideas. Job 1.6, 
Uh, now, there was a day when the sons of God, spiritual beings, right, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Here you have an image of God, like in the divine throne room, the courtroom, and all the sons of God show up. All the spiritual beings show up because court is in session. And what happens? Satan is also among them. Satan, by the way, means accuser. This actually doesn't have to be the Satan. Anything could be a Satan if it's accusing. That's the word Hebrew is accuser. Okay. So this may not necessarily be like Satan as you think of him. It could just be a spiritual being in a bad mood that day. I got some things to talk about about Job. Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. So in this passage right here, you see, again, court is in session. All right. Questions again? Okay. We've established the heavenly host have been there since before we were, and we've established that the heavenly host, um, this is the way the council works, is that they work along with God to kind of come up with ideas and and the authority that he grants them uh, to speak into his plans and whatnot. Now let's talk about uh, the upper level beings of the supernatural world, okay? The spiritual beings at the top, but not above God. Spiritual beings that have been given more authority than the others typically fall under the name the sons of God, okay? At least in the Old Testament, that's the name that they fall under. In the New Testament, it's princes and principalities, uh, words like that. But here's something very interesting. At the Tower of Babel, we always think of that as the day everyone's languages changed, right? If you go to Deuteronomy 32, God didn't just like separate people's languages by willy-nilly, just like snap his fingers, suddenly everyone's speaking different. That kid was just at dinner with his parents one day. He's like, what'd you do for school, Jimmy? Ah, Kilo Goto Tosho! You know, like, ah, Jimmy, what's happening? You know, like, it wasn't quite like that. Rather, Deuteronomy 32 tells us that God separated languages in a very peculiar way. It says, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, when he fixed the borders of people according to the numbers of the sons of God, he fixed the borders, so he separates the nations out by tongues, according to the number of the sons of God. In other words, he took these other spiritual beings in heaven and he's just tired of these humans who are constantly disobeying and not following him. He told Noah, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. What do they do? They stay in one place and are like, let's make sure we don't get separated and let's build a tower. (laughs) And this will help us make a name for ourselves. And actually that word name, Shem, as actually a similar word to the Nephilim, that the Nephilim were men of renown. They were men of the Shem. So there's a possibility that the Tower of Babel is also connected back to the giants again. So God's wiped out the earth. He started over. And instead, humanity has just like turned against God right away again. Let's not get separated. Let's stay right here and build this tower, possibly connected back to the giants. That's what they do. God's had it, and so he separates them by languages, and in doing so, he turns them all over to other spiritual beings he's created, the sons of God. Now, if there is a spiritual being in charge of your nation, what today would you call them? They'd be called gods. They'd be called gods, right? Just as they would be in the Old Testament. 
We look at the false gods of the Old Testament, and when we read the Bible, we're just like, oh, these are just idols, right? These are just pieces of rock. The Bible is actually communicating right here that every nation was given over to another entity that God made. But again, what are spiritual beings supposed to do? They're supposed to image God. So if the sons of God in charge of these other nations are being the gods that they're supposed to be, the little G gods that they're supposed to be, they should be imaging God to their people and their people should be trying to chase after the one true God by following their little G gods. That's the way it should go down. That's not what happens though. And God, rather than take all those nations, he's like, I'm, I'm just going to start with Abraham. <laughs> Which is really impressive when you think about it, right? God's like, you get this people group, you get this people group, you get this one. Okay, but who does Yahweh get? I'll take that guy. <laughs> right over there, Abraham. He's going he's gonna to follow me. And so God takes one guy and changes the whole world by the blessings he pours out on him and his people all the way into Jesus, all the way into today. That one guy did not fail or mess up. Look at the fact that we're standing in this room today is because of the inheritance, the portion that God took right here. But the rest of the world is assigned to these other beings who should image God, but do not. Now, Genesis 10 gives us 70 different nations, okay? Genesis 11 is a Tower of Babel where people get uh, split into nations under the sons of God into 70 different nations. We're going to come back to that, so just remember that. That doesn't mean that there's 70 little G gods out there. It's just this idea that every nation was assigned to, to one of them. Did the sons of God image God like they were supposed to? Psalm 82 tells us no. We're back to the divine council. In Psalm 82, it tells us this. God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the little G gods. He holds judgment. And here's what he says to the little G gods. He says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. We don't know what happened in the spiritual realm, but here's what Psalm 82 tells us. One way or another... The sons of God, the little G gods over all the nations, they failed at their job. They did not follow through. They did not image God. Instead, they imaged themselves. Rather than take care of the poor and the afflicted and the weak and the needy, they took advantage of the poor and the afflicted and the weak and the needy. Rather than serve them and make sure that they were taken care of, they let the people serve them and image in on themselves. They became images of themselves. They became idols that's what they did and because of that they fall under a new blanket term demons demons to us are just like these things from horror movies right or just these little spirits that god cast out 
In the same way that heavenly host is like typically anything that's following God in the spiritual realm, demons is a blanket word for anything that's not following God in the spiritual realm. Deuteronomy 32 tells us that they sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known. That's confusing. Let me fix it, actually. Sorry. Uh, That translation, I always use the ESV for anything. The ESV fails right here. The word for God in that particular case, aloha, not aloha, but (laughs) aloha, actually, I think it is. Aloha is always singular. So when you see the ESV come across this, you see like they're nervous, like, oh, it said the demons are gods. We can't say that. But that's how you translate Eloa. It's always singular. They sacrificed to demons that were not God, is what it should say. They sacrificed to demons that were not God, to gods they had never known, to new gods they had come across recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. So the false gods, the Bible's like, they're against me, they're demons. 1 Corinthians 10, same thing in the New Testament. What pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God, the one true God. The rest of mankind in Revelation who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of their works for their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk. These passages show you like what's on the other side of the idol is something. It's not just a piece of wood because even Revelation's like, uh, they kept worshiping demons and idols. The idea is like the idols are the demons. Actually, in ancient times, the idol, you were supposed to try to open its mouth. In a, you build it and then it's like, okay, now to know that the demon has moved inside of this idol, we need to do a ceremony of sorts to try to open its mouth so that the idol now, we can tell it's embodied by the demon. So like they, they always thought that there was something spiritual to, to this. Um, we also see the, the uh, sons of God turning against God in other passages. In Daniel 10, I've shared this a lot, but God tries to do something. He tries to send an angel to talk to Daniel, and the angel can't get to Daniel on time because he runs into the prince of Persia. The prince of Persia, that's not a, like, dude. That is a spiritual being reigning over a country an upper-level spiritual being. And then uh, he talks about how the angel, when he finally shows up, is like, now I got to go. And when I leave, the prince of Greece is going to show up. Just a heads up. In other words, spiritual warfare, man. <laughs> Took me a while to get through this false god to get to you. When I leave, another little G-god's going to show up. But hold fast. Okay. Uh, I want to keep moving because I know we're already over questions so far. Everybody following? Okay. One thing I want to clarify, there is only one God, okay? Remember, there's only one creator. I am not telling you there are, like, more gods out there, okay? Oh, it's so hard to talk this way with the 21st century mindset. Again, Yahweh, think of it this way. Yahweh is the one and only God. He has created all other physical and spiritual beings, Nothing could ever usurp him, okay? Nothing could ever be better than him. Nothing could ever replace him. He is unique and stands alone. By ancient language, all these other spiritual beings are little G-gods, but that is not the same. I am not preaching that there are many different gods. There is only one God, but the other little G-gods are not nothing. We tracking with that? 
Because a lot of people, when they come across this, they're like, oh, all the gods are real. No, this isn't like a pantheon of gods trying to like usurp the other and move to the top. They can't. Bible actually says that Satan tried to do that and he failed. And so God cast him down to the earth. Um, and God decides uh, eventually, like, I'm going to usurp all the false gods. <laughs> I assigned them to do their job. They did their job poorly. It's time for me to go back for the nations. So this is what Pentecost is. On Pentecost, remember, God disinherited all the nations, turned them over to the false gods at Babel by separating their languages. In the New Testament, God brings everyone out of the false gods' grips by giving back the languages. In the same way he separated them, now he's doing a new thing. Okay, it's time for them all to return to me. Here's their language. Here's their language. Here's their language. Go tell them about me. Bring them back. Tongues is a prophetic sign of this new work that God is doing. So... Uh, that's the reversal of what happened at Babel. On top of that, Jesus sends out another correction from uh, some manuscripts. Jesus sends out 70 disciples in Luke 10. Remember how there's 70 different nations? This is a reference back to Genesis 10. Just as they were divided into 70, now Jesus is sending out 70 disciples. Bring them all back. Okay? And now you, believe it or not, this all is huge for you because you're the replacement plan for all the fallen beings. The Bible speaks very highly of Christians and their future. Paul tells us that, uh, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? When you come across the word saints in the New Testament, the actual translation, straight translation, literal translation, is holy ones. What's a holy one? The watchers were holy ones, spiritual beings. God's like Christians, you are the new holy ones. Do you not know that the Christians, the holy ones, the saints will judge the world and that the world is to be judged by you? You will even judge angels. Who judges angels? Who judges the world? That's the job of the divine council. Oh, Paul's saying like you now are on your way to be the replacement plan. All the fallen beings of the spiritual world, you are adding to God's divine counsel. And you see throughout Revelation, like we're added into God's throne room. We're given power and authority. Romans talks about uh, how we're being conformed to the image of God's son. Second Corinthians talks about how we're moving from glory to glory, going from one area of glory to another. So you are, in a sense, becoming something more than the human life you know now. Um, when we see him, we shall be like him. His divine power has granted us all things that we might be partakers of his divine nature, Second Peter says. Perishable body puts on the imperishable, and one day we go from mortal to immortality. What's, what's an immortal being in the Bible? It's the gods, it's the spiritual beings of heaven. Yet here's God saying, like, you're the new immortal being. He told them in Psalm 82, like, I found a way to end you and all the false gods. I will deal with you for your sins. You will be no more. But you Christians, you'll live on forever. You're the replacement plan. Even Revelation three, Jesus actually says, like, I'll grant the one who conquers to sit on my throne, <laughs> sit with me on my throne. 
as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. The same way the divine counsel was given like the ability to rule in certain ways. Here's God, here's Jesus saying like, you get to sit on my throne with me. I'm granting you the ability. Yeah. Okay, getting ready to wrap up here. In the end, the divine counsel, everything that's flawed and off will be dealt with. It's actually, it's pretty clear in... Um, popular passage we read all the time you know the whole i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink to the people who didn't give food and drink here's what jesus says to them depart from me you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels in other words all the spiritual beings that turned against me hell exists to get rid of them (laughs) and if you have not taken care of the poor and the weak and the needy just like the gods were judged for that in Psalm 82. If you as a human being have not been taking care of the poor and the weak and the needy, you fall under the same judgment as the false gods. And so, in the same way the false gods get tossed into hell, this eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, so all human beings that have lived like the false gods and not followed Yahweh but followed the other ones, So they, too, find their destination in the same place where Psalm 82 was talking about. And Revelation 2010 talks about how the devil uh, who deceived everyone is thrown into a lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, to be tormented day and night forever and ever. Though, ultimately, I think what Revelation and the whole Bible gets at is that hell is an ending point for everything that's wrong with the world, that one day it will all be no more. Okay, so like I said, it's kind of dense. I know I went longer. Um, I am happy to continue answering any questions you have. If you're sticking around, feel free to talk to me. But really quick, any ones that are super important on your mind that you feel like you need to ask for other people's clarity, because it's always hard to tell what's getting lost in translation. It's a lot of Bible verses for one night, I know. (laughs) Okay, well, is that a question? Yeah. So when you talked about like, the sons of God and how they didn't like, do their job and rule over the nations and stuff, how would they have ruled over them? Like, would they have sent prophets? Would there have been like people like, not like Jesus, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. How would they have ruled over them as spiritual beings and not like having to yeah, so, I mean, you just try to describe the way that spiritual beings work is that they're supposed to, um, they would appear in spiritual ways, whether you would angels or whatever, uh, or try to give their own prophetic words. But it's, it's hard to tell, you know, were they corrupt from the beginning? Did they become corrupt later? That's always difficult to tell. What the Bible's clear to us as Christians is you don't listen to any of the other spirits except the Holy Spirit. Nothing is better than the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God. So don't turn to anything else. In fact, the Bible is like, even like, look, you come in contact with an angel, test that. Because if they're saying something that doesn't line up with the Bible or with who God is, you may not be talking to a messenger of God. So like, they were pretty intense, like spiritual realm. Just listen to the Holy Spirit, follow him. So how would they have communicated? 
when you look at the ways that all ancient cultures did it, they had their own prophets that tried to prophesy, but they were always wrong, it seemed, or never had the right word. A lot of kings throughout the Bible are like, I don't like talking to my prophets because they always tell me what I want to hear. So it looks like a lot of the false prophets are just like making stuff up. But you see the gods corrupt all throughout ancient culture. Yahweh is clear like, look, you can give me sacrifices, but you're not feeding me. You're not sustaining me. I'm not surviving off what you're doing. But all the false gods are like, I need to eat to live, so you give me my food, and I don't care about you at all. You serve me. They tell these narratives like, you exist, you were created to serve me, so you do whatever I tell you to do. Whereas God's like, you exist not because I need you, but because I wanted you and I love you. So when you look at the narratives that all other cultures tell, it's... it's yeah, that was the other question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think one of the main ways is um, you actually see Israel as programmed in laws to adopt people out of the other nations. So it's like, look, you can become an Israelite. You just need to conform to the same rules that we have. So if you really want to follow God, turn to him and follow God. And you see people from other nations do that throughout the Old Testament where they leave their false gods and, and follow Israel instead. In fact, there's one prophet who's like... Uh, I think it's Isaiah. He's like, look, I got people in Egypt. <laughs> he tells Isaiah, I got people in Egypt. It's like, what do you mean you got people in Egypt? That's the enemy. Apparently, there's people in Egypt who are following God, though they're under the reign, if you will, of the false gods in that land. They've decided to follow Yahweh instead. So I would say, like, it's hard to ever tell if the false gods were ever good or ever did their job right and that the real way to follow Yahweh is not to follow them at all, but from the very beginning. Well, they would have had to be like, at least it would seem to me like they would have had to be not like ever inherently evil because they were made in God's image, right? Yeah. So no, they wouldn't be inherently evil. Right. They would just be like corrupted in some way, kind of like humanity. Yeah. Well, when humanity comes across power, what happens? They, like, instantly go bad. Yeah. <laughs> Spiritual beings, they're made in the same image we are. They come across power seems like they go bad. God doesn't necessarily take their power away from them. They can still exercise it wrong, just as bad presidents can have power and exercise it wrong, right? But nonetheless, that's part of free will. Tyler, were you going to say something? Yeah, I had a question. I'm not totally forget. But um, we see, like, a lot of uh, angels in the Bible, just Michael, you know, to point, other ones. And, uh, but then they are in, like, Revelation and stuff like that often taken to be like these almost warriors so like messengers in the old testament are like mm. warriors in the new testament mm. um i've been like looking around for it and haven't seen any answers for that as to why these messengers become god's like warriors well michael is actually in the book of daniel michael's called your prince yeah so you're supposed to think of michael in some way just as greece has a prince persia has a prince israel has a prince now, Michael is not Israel's God. Obviously, it's Yahweh. But it does seem that there's this one particular angel who was assigned some power and still followed God. And so he's a servant of Yahweh to Israel in some way. So Michael is one of the only angels given a name in the Bible. And he's actually pictured as strong in both Old and New Testament. 
But yeah, the New Testament mostly just kind of goes to angels as a general term for any spiritual being following God. They're still just messengers in the Greek, but uh, I would say their language just kind of adapts again. I think part of the reason their language adapts is because like the Greeks, the Jews wanted to make clear there's only one God. And so if they were using the similar language of gods and spirits, they would think like, oh, so you believe in many gods too. No, those are all angels, right? That's their way of trying to clarify there's only one God. In the same way, like I would try to clarify tonight, there's only one God. So the Jews were trying to do the same thing. A lot changes between the Old Testament and the New Testament with spiritual terms. There's a lot of time that goes by between the two. And being in, being in exile is what happens between the two Testaments. And when you're in exile, you move into a new land and you start adapting people's lingo, their lingo, their languages, their understanding of the world. And so you have to start changing the way you talk to compare between the two and whatnot. Okay, I'm happy to answer more questions, but I've gone more over than usual. Sorry, I'm not always going to do that. This is just a very heavy topic, and I want to make sure I don't cut off at a weird point where you all go home spewing heresy. Only one God. All the other gods are nothing like him. God created them. They do not exist on their own. This isn't Guardians of the Galaxy. It's nothing like that, okay? You know, Star-Lord's dead or whatever. There's only one God who created everything, whether it exists spiritual or physical, and nothing can compare to him. He is alone and unique. But the other gods are not nothing, and they do have power, and there are many different terms to refer to what they do. Okay. Uh, some are going to B-dubs around 9 o'clock-ish. We are open till 9 o'clock-ish. If you want to keep playing games, feel free. Those of you doing Catan, you may want to change, like, what's your ending win point so that you can <laughs> finish your game. Thanks for joining us. Free gaming still set up. Feel free to keep playing.